Section four of Bullfinches The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section four The Siege of Albracca, Part two. The fortress was impregnable, but it was scantily victualled and ill-provided with other necessaries. Under these circumstances, Angelica announced to those blockaded with her in the citadel her intention to go in quest of assistance, and, having plighted her promise of a speedy return, she set out with the enchanted ring upon her finger. Mounted upon her palfrey, the damsel passed through the enemy's lines, and by sunrise was many miles clear of their encampment. It so happened that her road led her near the fatal bridge of oblivion, and as she approached it, she met a damsel weeping bitterly. It was Flordelis, whose lover, Florismart, as we have related, had met the fate of Orlando and many more, and fallen a victim to the enchantress of the cup. She related her adventures to Angelica, and conjured her to lend what aid she might to rescue her lord and his companions. Angelica, accordingly, watching her opportunity and aided by her ring, slipped into the castle unseen when the door was opened to admit a new victim. Here she speedily disenchanted Orlando and the rest by a touch of her talisman. But Florismart was not there. He had been given up to Falerina, a more powerful enchantress, and was still in durance. Angelica conjured the rescued captives to assist her in the recovery of her kingdom, and all departed together for Albracca. The arrival of Orlando with his companions, nine in all, and among the bravest knights of France, changed at once the fortunes of the war. Wherever the great paladin came, pennon and standard fell before him. Agrican in vain attempted to rally his troops. Orlando kept constantly in his front, forcing him to attend to nobody else. The Tartar king at length bethought him of a stratagem. He turned his horse, and made a show of flying in despair. Orlando dashed after him as he desired, and Agrican fled till he reached a green place in a wood where there was a fountain. The place was beautiful, and the Tartar dismounted to refresh himself at the fountain, but without taking off his helmet or laying aside any of his armor. Orlando was quickly at his back, crying out, "'So bold, and yet a fugitive! How could you fly from a single arm and think to escape?' The Tartar king had leaped on his saddle the moment he saw his enemy, and when the paladin had done speaking he said in a mild voice, "'Without doubt you are the best knight I ever encountered, and fain would I leave you untouched for your own sake, if you would cease to hinder me from rallying my people. I pretended to fly in order to bring you out of the field. If you insist upon fighting, I must needs fight and slay you, but I call the sun in the heavens to witness I would rather not. I should be very sorry for your death.' The Count Orlando felt pity for so much gallantry, and he said, the nobler you show yourself, the more it grieves me to think that in dying without a knowledge of the true faith you will be lost in the other world. Let me advise you to save body and soul at once, receive baptism, and go your way in peace. Agrican replied, I suspect you to be the paladin Orlando. 
If you are, I would not lose this opportunity of fighting with you to be king of paradise. Talk to me no more about your things of another world, for you will preach in vain, each of us for himself, and let the sword be the umpire. The Saracen drew his sword, boldly advancing upon Orlando, and a combat began, so obstinate and so long, each warrior being a miracle of prowess, that the story says it lasted from noon till night. Orlando, then seeing the stars come out, was the first to propose a respite. "'What are we to do?' said he, now that daylight has left us. Agrican answered readily enough, "'Let us repose in this meadow and renew the combat at dawn.' The repose was taken accordingly. Each tied up his horse and reclined himself on the grass, not far from the other, just as if they had been friends, Orlando by the fountain, Agrican beneath a pine." It was a beautiful, clear night, and as they talked together before addressing themselves to sleep, the champion of Christendom, looking up at the firmament, said, "'That is a fine piece of workmanship, that starry spectacle. God made it all, that moon of silver and those stars of gold, and the light of day and the sun, all for the sake of humankind.' "'You wish, I see, to talk of matters of faith,' said the Tartar. Now I may as well tell you at once that I have no sort of skill in such matters, nor learning of any kind. I never could learn anything when I was a boy. I hated it so that I broke the man's head who was commissioned to teach me, and it produced such an effect on others that nobody ever afterward dared so much as show me a book. My boyhood was therefore passed, as it should be, in horsemanship and hunting, and learning to fight. What is the good of a gentleman's poring all day over a book? Prowess to the night, and preaching to the clergyman. That is my motto. I acknowledge, returned Orlando, that arms are the first consideration of a gentleman, but not at all that he does himself dishonor by knowledge. On the contrary, knowledge is as great an embellishment of the rest of his attainments as the flowers are to the meadow before us. And as to the knowledge of his Maker— the man that is without it is no better than a stock or a stone or a brute beast. Neither without study can he reach anything of a due sense of the depth and divineness of the contemplation. Learned or not learned, said Agrican, you might show yourself better bred than by endeavouring to make me talk on a subject on which you have me at a disadvantage. If you choose to sleep, I wish you good night, but if you prefer talking, I recommend you to talk of fighting or of fair ladies. And, by the way, pray tell me, are you not that Orlando who makes such a noise in the world? And what is it, pray, that brings you into these parts? Were you ever in love? I suppose you must have been, for to be a knight and never to have been in love would be like being a man without a heart in his breast. The Count replied, Orlando I am, and in love I am. Love has made me abandon everything, and brought me into these distant regions, and to tell you all in one word, my heart is in the hands of the daughter of King Galifron. You have come against him with fire and sword, to get possession of his castles and dominions, and I have come to help him, for no object in the world but to please his daughter and win her beautiful hand. I care for nothing else in existence." Now when the Tartar king, Agrican, heard his antagonist speak in this manner, and knew him to be indeed Orlando, and to be in love with Angelica, 
His face changed color for grief and jealousy, though it could not be seen for the darkness. His heart began beating with such violence that he felt as if he should have died. Well, said he to Orlando, we are to fight when it is daylight, and one or other is to be left here dead on the ground. I have a proposal to make to you, nay, an entreaty. My love is so excessive for the same lady that I beg you to leave her to me. I will owe you my thanks and give up the siege and put an end to the war. I cannot bear that any one should love her and that I should live to see it. Why, therefore, should either of us perish? Give her up. Not a soul shall know it. I never yet, answered Orlando, made a promise which I did not keep, and nevertheless I own to you that, were I to make a promise like that, and even swear to keep it, I should not. You might as well ask me to tear away the limbs from my body and the eyes out of my head. I could as well live without breath itself as cease loving Angelica. Agrican had hardly patience to let him finish speaking, ere he leapt furiously on horseback, though it was midnight. "'Quit her,' said he, "'or die.' Orlando, seeing the infidel getting up, and not being sure that he would not add treachery to fierceness, had been hardly less quick in mounting for the combat. "'Never!' exclaimed he. "'I never could have quitted her if I would, and now I would not if I could. You must seek her by other means than these.' Fiercely dashed their horses together in the night-time on the green mead. Despiteful and terrible were the blows they gave and took by the moonlight. Agrican fought in a rage, Orlando was cooler, and now the struggle had lasted more than five hours, and day began to dawn, when the Tartar king, furious to find so much trouble given him, dealt his enemy a blow sharp and violent beyond conception. It cut the shield in two as if it had been made of wood and though blood could not be drawn from Orlando because he was fated, it shook and bruised him as if it had started every joint in his body. His body only, however, not a particle of his soul. So dreadful was the blow which the paladin gave in return that not only shield, but every bit of mail on the body of Agrican was broken in pieces, and three of his ribs cut asunder. The tartar, roaring like a lion, raised his sword with still greater vehemence than before, and dealt a blow on the paladin's helmet such as he had never yet received from mortal man. For a moment it took away his senses. His sight failed, his ears tingled, his frightened horse turned about to fly, and he was falling from the saddle when the very action of falling threw his head upwards and thus recalled his recollection. What a shame is this, thought he, how shall I ever again dare to face Angelica? I have been fighting hour after hour with this man, and he is but one, and I call myself Orlando. If the combat lasts any longer, I will bury myself in a monastery and never look on sword again. Orlando muttered with his lips closed and his teeth ground together, and you might have thought that fire instead of breath came out of his nose and mouth. He raised his sword Durindana with both his hands, and sent it down so tremendously on Agrican's shoulder that it cut through breastplate down to the very haunch, nay, crushed the saddle-bow, though it was made of bone and iron, and felled man and horse to the earth. Agrican turned as white as ashes, and felt death upon him. 
He called Orlando to come close to him with a gentle voice, and said as well as he could, I believe in him who died on the cross. Baptize me, I pray thee, with the fountain, before my senses are gone. I have lived an evil life, but need not be rebellious to God in death also. May he who came to save all the rest of the world save me. And he shed tears, that great king, though he had been so lofty and fierce. Orlando dismounted quickly with his own face in tears. He gathered the king tenderly in his arms, and took and laid him by the fountain on a marble rim that it had, and then he wept in concert with him heartily, and asked his pardon, and so baptized him in the water of the fountain, and knelt and prayed to God for him with joined hands. He then paused and looked at him, and when he perceived his countenance changed, and that his whole person was cold, he left him there on the marble rim of the fountain, all armed as he was, with the sword by his side and the crown upon his head. End of section 4